Happy New Year. Happy New Year. To all of you. Buckeyes are in the national championship game, and the Steelers will be watching it from home. We're off to a good start. Right, Brian? Um, bittersweet time of year because uh, for most of us, for many people I should say, uh, Christmas, the best time of the year, and now it's coming to a close, and as my kids would tell you, is about 350 days away. Um, and, and with that, the Christmas decorations go away, and for us, they'll go away tomorrow. We were all off this past week. The staff was off for a nice, relaxing week, which started off in the Poindexter household with my seven-year-old getting three staples to the head. So, um, the first of many, I told the ER doctor, over the next ten years, we're going to be on a first-name basis, and I'm probably going to have my own coffee cup here with, uh, with him. Um... Uh, but this is a, it's a nice time of year because even though the cold weather is coming and it's like 50 out right now with a high tomorrow of like 16, um, uh, it does represent a new start, uh, return to routine. I know a lot of you probably uh, go back to work tomorrow and, um, and that just, it can be good. A, a little break is great, but I'm always ready to, to get rolling again. And so we are back at Polaris to the story. We started at the beginning of the school year, and if you just joined us this past month, and I know that some of you have, uh, we took a little break from this book, and it's basically just uh, the Bible, excerpts from the Bible spliced together, meant to be very readable and chronological, so you get a good flow uh, for God's redemptive story. And, and so we return today to uh, Solomon, we left off with Solomon, um, and, and we're going to see an epic leadership and legacy failure. This for me is, is one of the worst chapters in this, the whole story. Just awful. Um, total legacy fail. Uh, basically, God was set out to build a nation and he appointed Saul as a king. Saul failed as a leader and so God appointed David as a king. And under David's leadership, uh, the, the nation of Israel began to thrive. And then it continued to thrive under Solomon, but Solomon got very distracted by his own success. And within a generation, everything that God had built fell apart. So we're going to talk about this legacy fail and what we can learn from it in our own life. But let's get caught up with chapter 14 of the story with this video. At the end of King Solomon's reign over Israel, God told a man named Jeroboam that he would become king over all but one of the tribes of Israel. But Solomon wasn't ready to give up the throne, so he tried to kill Jeroboam, who escaped and fled to Egypt. A short while later, Solomon died, and his son Rehoboam was named king. The people were unhappy with the heavy taxes placed on them and went to complain along with their spokesperson, Jeroboam. Despite their complaints, the king refused to listen. Furious, most of Israel made Jeroboam their leader and lived in the northern territory called Israel, where Rehoboam ruled over the southern tribe called Judah. 
After being a united country for many years, Israel was now split in two. The new king of the Northern Territory, Jeroboam, was worried that when his people returned to the South in order to worship at the temple in Jerusalem, they might be persuaded to become loyal to Rehoboam instead of him. So he devised a plan. He constructed two golden calves and told his people that they were the gods that helped them escape from Egypt many years earlier. Then he had a huge festival to worship these gods, and unbelievably, the Israelites went along with it. Then one day, Jeroboam was at one of the altars making a sacrifice, when a man who followed God approached Jeroboam and warned him that his kingdom would soon be ruined. Jeroboam stretched out his arm and shouted, Seize him! As he did, his hand shriveled up. Terrified, Jeroboam pleaded with the man to pray for him. So the man prayed for Jeroboam's hand, and it was healed. Even after this display of God's power, Jeroboam still led the people to worship other gods. For years, Jeroboam and Rehoboam were at war. When Rehoboam died, his son and then grandson took over as kings of Judah. His son worshipped other gods, just like his father. But Rehoboam's grandson, Asa, was different. Asa got rid of the idols and was fully committed to following God. The northern kingdom of Israel continued to be led by a series of wicked men, none of whom followed God. One of these kings was Ahab, who did more evil in the eyes of God than any king before him. Perhaps worst of all, Ahab married Jezebel a woman from a foreign country who convinced him and almost all of Israel to worship a foreign god named Baal. Because of this, God would need to send a messenger to set things straight. And that messenger was Elijah, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. We'll talk about him next week. Uh, this week I want to talk about the, the leadership failure, uh, how it went from a great nation and all that God had desired for Israel to be a beacon of hope and peace and unity, and, and it was all wrecked. The nation had split, they were worshiping other gods. Just a couple chapters earlier in the Bible, God was getting all the credit and the people were united in one heart with God, and just a few chapters later, through a failed legacy, the nation is split. And they're worshiping all sorts of gods, and it's just a total mess. If I had to sum up the relevant content today, Solomon was an incredibly wise man who started out building his legacy with a pure heart. Some of the dialogue in the early days between Solomon and God is, is, is gripping. It's very meaningful. You can tell there's a connection there. You know what? I need to stop for a minute. Carol turned 91 this past week, right? We are, what's that? The 19th of December. Okay, well, we're thrilled to have you here. This is our matriarch at Polaris, Carol. So happy birthday, Carol. Okay, um... So he started out very pure in his leadership. And then he became a victim of his own success. 
things started to go well, his empire became so vast and it led to many distractions. And before long, there was no intentionality in his life anymore. There was no intentionality to what he did. And it all crumbled. His entire legacy was essentially lost within a generation. Solomon's is a sad story because he went from contributor to consumer. And that's what can happen to any of us. We become consumers going through life just taking in versus being intentional about what we're going to contribute. And the things that we contribute toward usually last. Now, I have to tell you that in my 15 years of being a pastor, the worst thing in the world for me to do is to have to do a funeral for someone that I don't know who has obviously done nothing that is lasting with their life. They've wasted their life, and, and I don't know them, and I'm trying to build a funeral service. And, and so it goes like this. I'll sit together with the family, and you know, something bad has happened, obviously. Someone has, has passed away, and, and there's awkwardness and tension in the room. And finally, someone will speak up and say something like, well, you always knew what he thought and where you stood. And then the other person will say something like, yep, he was a straight shooter. You know what that means? That's funeral code for they were a jerk. And there's nothing lasting. It's terrible. But it's real. And it's the worst thing in the world for me to have to try to build a sermon or a funeral talk around someone who has wasted their life with nothing that will last. On the other hand, I've done funeral, uh, funerals for people who I don't know, but it becomes obvious from their family that, that this person invested in people and in things that mattered to God, and, and they made a difference, and there's a legacy. Oftentimes, these people die with very little earthly possessions, but their impact will go on like ripples in the water for generations to come because they made something, they invested in things that matter to God. And these are joyful sermons or joyful funerals to build. Even though it's around sad circumstances, it's always good to know that somebody lived their life well and they have something that will last. Now back to our story. David handed Solomon a great kingdom and God gave him a powerful calling. Less than one generation later, God's nation had split in two and the entire nation was moving away from God. So what went wrong and why does it matter for our lives today as stay-at-home moms or dads or working office people, um, landscaping, homeowners, renters, coaches... Why does it matter for real life today, something that happened so long ago? Well, first let me say that this stuff matters because I think most people, once we get to a certain age, want to build something that lasts. And we want to hear well done from God. We have one life to live, and we want to live it well in such a way that God will affirm it and that something is going to be left over, something's going to transcend this life that we live. And I believe that no matter who you are, whether you have anything to your name or not right now, if you begin to seek after the things that matter to God, 
God will lead you in such a way that you will have something that absolutely lasts if you stay the course, if you avoid distraction. Since the human death toll is right around 100%, this is important stuff for us because we're heading to that day. And we want something that's going to last, not something that's going to be destroyed within a generation. So here's the first lesson from the epic fail of King Solomon. Solomon built a consumer footprint instead of a legacy. Solomon got more concerned about his consumer footprint than his legacy. Now, the energy footprint is the amount of energy a person or organization takes up. It's one of those green terms. So let's say that a consumer footprint is how much stuff you claim as your own. It doesn't have to be material stuff. can be obligations or whatever. How much stuff do you have a hand in? Solomon built his consumer footprint instead of a legacy. Let's take a look at Solomon's consumer footprint. It's impressive. Second Chronicles 9. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, 775 million in gold, not including the revenues brought in by merchants and traders. That's every year. Also, the kings of Arabia and the governors of the territories brought gold and silver to Solomon. It goes on to talk about his gold shields and palaces, and then it talks about his throne. Now listen to this. Then the king made a great throne covered with ivory and overlaid with pure gold. The throne had six steps, and the footstool of gold was attached to it. On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on six steps, one at either end of the step. Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. And all of King Solomon's goblets were gold. The household articles uh, in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were gold. So multiple palaces. Nothing was made of silver because it was considered of little value in Solomon's day. The king had a, fl a fleet of trading ships manned by Hiram's servants. Once every, 300 year, or once every three years, it returned carrying gold, silver, and ivory and apes and baboons. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than any of the other kings of the earth, and all the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon to hear his wisdom that God has put in his heart. And year after year, everyone that came brought a gift. Articles of silver and gold and robes and weapons and spices and horses and mules. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. And he ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. <clears throat> now, in addition to that, the Bible says that he had 700 wives and 300 girlfriends and had achieved more and bought more and built more than just about anyone else on the planet. Solomon is in the Consumer Footprint Hall of Fame. And while it all started with God getting all the credit, 
It was all initially used for God's glory. And his wisdom was initially used for the benefit of the people. Solomon got distracted. And here's one of the last statements in the Bible that we read about Solomon. And I think it's one of the most tragic passages in the whole Bible. 1 Kings 11. King Solomon, the man with supernatural wisdom. And that's the reason why this is so important. Because if this happened to Solomon, who had supernatural wisdom, how much easier it is for it to happen to morons like me. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign, uh, many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. As the heart of David his father had been. So what we see, whether from, <clears throat> rather from his wives or his stuff, because stuff was a distraction for Solomon as well. He was a victim of his own success. His empire expanded and it brought many distractions into his life. And before long, he wasn't even centered around his God. He forgot what life was all about because of all the stuff there is to pursue in this world. And it happens to us today. He got focused on himself and he focused others on himself. That's why you build gold thrones with golden footstools so that other people look at you. And instead of saying, look at God, he started to say, look at me. And instead of building his right life around looking at God, he built his life around himself. And it happened slowly until God was a bottom priority. <clears throat> and the danger's there for all of us. Solomon got distracted by things that didn't matter to God. And because of that, his legacy didn't last very long. And what I notice in life is the things that matter to God will naturally build a legacy because they're eternal in nature. Things that matter in this world, our stuff and our career pursuits, they're temporary in nature. And they don't last. And so we have to be very intentional about what we're working toward. Here's another way to look at it. Solomon started out serving God and ended up serving himself. And if we lose focus, we'll do exactly the same thing. Now there's a passage from Jesus here that I want to read. Hundreds of years after Solomon. Matthew 6, 24. We should all memorize this and have our kids memorize this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Now, that word hate or despise, it's from the Greek word miseo, very interesting uh, Greek word, and it has a broad range of meaning. can mean everything from I hate you to, <clears throat> you know what, you're at a distant second to my wife. It's, a, it's really a, a word that, that ranks priority. And what Jesus is saying, there's, there, there's not going to be 
competition here, naturally what's going to happen is somebody's going to get a clear second. So to understand the word, it, it's, if I think about the world of kids' sports, <coughs> which I'm like, you know, entrenched in right now with the seven-year-old and the ten-year-old, um, oftentimes uh, kids' sports will compete with each other. And, and so like in, in baseball, um, it, it's nothing for... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, a kid in in baseball to because baseball and soccer overlap, and so there'll be a game scheduled for both sports on the same day, and you have to decide as a family which sport. In using Greek language, which sport am I going to miseo? Which sport will I hold second? If the game is on the same, is it going to be baseball or soccer? Now, obviously, baseball. But there are lesser, you know, there are more difficult decisions out there. And so what Jesus is saying is in life, we have to very clearly establish what's first place, God or everything else. And if we don't establish that in our mind and in our wallets and with our schedules and everything else, naturally stuff will edge out God. And I found that to be true in my own life. And so the first legacy question for us to ask is, are you running after God and His will for your life as the top priority? And the best way to do that is to look at your schedule. Look at your checkbook. Look at the metrics that dictate where your heart is. And ask, who's number one? Or what's number one? Another way to say this, rule for you uh, to keep you in line, beware of fish tanks, beware of fish tanks. So I remember when my mom, uh, my mom and dad gave me a call and said that such and such uh, fancy fish aquarium, whatever, a friend of the family is going out of business and they have this 55 gallon aquarium and they would love for you to have it if you want it. And I said, sure, I, you know, I've always liked fish tanks, and who doesn't? They're pretty to look at in the doctor's office or whatever. And, and so I remember them dropping it off, and you know, this big 55-gallon tank, it still had the $700 price tag on it. Now, it was free to me, but it was obviously a nice fish tank with a nice stand, and I set it up in my office, and then I you know, had to read about uh, what do you need to have a 55-gallon fish tank. And of course, I'm off to the you know, exotic pet store buying a filtration system and one of those bubble rock things, and then the gravel and the decorative landscaping, and then the African cichlids, because for my money, those are the prettiest fish on the planet. And, and by the end of my free aquarium, I was like 300 bucks in on my, my free aquarium. And then I learned that you have to check the pH balance, and you have to constantly monitor the clarity of the water and change the water and clean the gravel and feed the fish and every other thing that goes along with the fish tank. And then I was looking for somebody who <laughs> would want this 55-gallon uh, fish tank. And so I can say, like owning a boat, I understand, the two best days of owning a fish tank for me were the day I got it and the day I gave it away. <clears throat> now, there's nothing wrong with Aquariums. Um, 
But if you get too many aquariums in your life, uh, all your time and all your energy are going to keeping aquariums clean or big houses clean or yards landscaped or tools maintained or whatever it is. Uh, the, the point here is, just like in Solomon's life, there was probably no one thing that destroyed Solomon and his legacy. He just let too many fish tanks in. And before long, all of his energies were built on maintaining and keeping up with these pursuits. And he lost his focus on number one. Everything from coffee pots to tools to cars to bigger homes, they all have a cost and a time and an energy associated with them. And no one thing is going to throw you out of whack, but if we're not careful, we get too many. And you know what I don't want said about me at my funeral? Well, he really kept a clean fish tank. Yeah, I don't care about that. I want greater things to be true of me and my legacy. And if we are not intentional, and here's what I believe, I believe that very few people are purposeful about the way they spend their time. And if we're not purposeful, we end up, before we know it, accomplishing nothing of what we really want and just kind of living as consumers. So what can we do to avoid this? Well, in Jesus' day and time, this was, this was on the mind of people in Jesus' day and time, and, and they had built their lives around spiritual rhythms to protect the things that mattered most. They learned from Solomon. And so they had these rhythms so they couldn't get out of whack. <clears throat> when God gave the Israelites their calendar, he built in these feasts, these celebrations, and they happened seasonally. So no matter what you were doing, every few months you were stopping what you were doing, practically every month, for a time of rest and focus. So, you know, you got this thing going, but now it's Passover. So you stop and you focus on the mercy of God. Got this thing going and now it's Feast of Tabernacles. You stop and focus on the unity of God's people. There were all these festivals so that seasonally you stopped and you reevaluated. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> it's coming on strong. Um, weekly. God built Sabbath and he commanded his people every seventh day, you stop what you're doing and you focus on God and you focus on people. You're not allowed to look at a task list. Every seventh day, you stopped and focused on priorities. Then weekly, Jesus expected his followers to fast. He said, when I'm gone, my followers will fast. And in the early church, Christians fasted twice a week. From sundown to sundown. They would eat a big meal before sundown. They wouldn't eat again until the next sundown. It was a way of saying, God's boss, not food, not anything else. They reprioritized and recalibrated around God twice a week. In addition to Sabbath. And then daily, the Bible says Jesus gave his disciples a prayer. They said, give us a prayer. And Jesus said, okay, here it is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The Lord's Prayer. And there's an understanding in ancient Jewish history that the, the, the understanding was multiple times a day 
followers of Jesus would return to that prayer. So it was the equivalent of them having their phone uh, go off every few hours. Time for the Lord's Prayer. Time for the Lord's Prayer. So there were all these rhythms in their life to keep them from getting distracted. You could almost say these rhythms were to distract them from their distractions. Pull them back to what matters most. Now here's what I know. One hour once a week church is probably not going to be enough if the followers of Jesus and Jesus himself used all of these rituals then we're not above that and I think the vast majority of people have very few if any spiritual rhythms in their life to protect them from getting distracted and when we say the way that Jesus lived, we're, we're, we're above that. We don't need that. That's probably not the wisest thing in the world. Now, I want to take a minute here and, and talk you through something that has worked really well for me. Over the past few months, I've started um, this little exercise. I'm by no means great at any of this stuff, but it's helped me. Okay, now, if you've been around Phalaris for the past 15 years of its existence, you've probably heard me say that journaling is really important to me. I try to journal nearly every day. Now, like these past two weeks, I'm all out of rhythm and routine, and my life has shown it. But in my journaling time, I'm starting to ask myself, what are my highest callings and purest dreams? And so whether it's a journal, maybe a spiral notebook, or maybe it's just an exercise on the way to work, ask yourself over the next couple of days, what are my highest callings and purest dreams? What do I really want to be true of my life? And I understand what those things are for me. And so I start each day very early, writing down in my journal, number one, I will live today in oneness with Jesus. Today I will talk with him regularly and I will not look at, think about, or in any way consume anything that could separate my heart from his. Refocusing myself around number one. And sometimes I'll pray a little bit about that number one and write a little bit about places that I failed the day before. I shouldn't have let my heart go there and it did and I separated myself and, you know, confess that to God. Number two, Kelly and I. My wife, our one flesh and heart. Today I'll pursue oneness with her. She'll have my full attention and faithfulness. And I'll honor her and how God has made her. Now I'm not any good at that. She'd probably be the first to tell you. How much worse would I be if I didn't call myself back to that regularly? Full attention. This only child gets pretty selfish. And I have to remind myself at the start of every day, you know what? I could have the greatest church, the biggest church, successful author, whatever. If I fail at that oneness with her, I failed with the, one of the highest callings in my life. Number three, aside from oneness with Jesus and Kelly, all I really need to accomplish with my life is to do my best to help my boys follow Jesus. I will be in the moment with them today and focused on their spiritual development. Now I write this because there are a lot of weeks where I realize at the end of the week, you know what, I wasn't really in the moment with Spencer or Elijah at all. 
I was there with them, but I was focused on other things. And this is a chance for me to catch myself before I go too far. Because at the end of my life, I could have the most successful church on the planet. And if I robbed my boys of feeling like they had an engaged dad, I lost. And so every day, I remind myself that that's one of my highest callings and purest pursuits, is discipling my boys and pouring into them. And then number four, God has called me to help build an Isaiah 58 movement at Polaris. And I'll focus my energy around those efforts. Beginning of each day, I'm not good at any of those. But if I focus the beginning of each day around the four highest callings and purest pursuits of my life, it's going to keep me at least investing energy in the important things. All right. Maybe you found something in there that would apply to your 2015. Here's another lesson on the failed legacy and leadership from Solomon and his son. Listen to people. Now, what we learn in the Bible is that Solomon was one of the few kings who didn't have any prophets. No one could get to him. Solomon didn't need the wisdom from other people. He had supernatural wisdom from God. What he needed was for somebody to be able to say, you're out of line, dude. Your heart is a mess right now. And if he had had prophets that could get to him, they could have told him that and maybe saved him. But he didn't have anybody. And then you'll read about his son this week in, in the reading of the story who listened to the elders and then rejected their advice for the advice of, of, of his young buddies who told him what he wanted to hear. And that was a recipe for disaster. And what I've learned is there are so few people who will truly invite people in to speak criticism. But I can bet, and it's always hard, I hate hearing criticism. I hate it when somebody points out something that I've done wrong. And I almost always react defensively. But if I'll go back and correct those things, it always produces good things. There's always a difference between people in life who can take criticism and people who reject it. It's a law. There's a separation that happens between somebody who can take advice and somebody who can't. The marriages are better, the parenting's better, the career is usually better, and we see Solomon's legacy fail in part because he didn't have anybody in his life. So just ask yourself, do I have people in my life who could step in and say you're out of line, and would I believe them if they said it? And then one last thing, and I'm done after this. If we will always ask, God What's my next step? God will keep stretching. It's very easy in life to do one thing for God and feel good about it and revel in that success and then get distracted. But if we will continually ask, what's next, what's next, what's next, and then respond in obedience, God will keep stretching and stretching and stretching and stretching. And no, we're never done. We never get to retire from God and his activity in our life. And it may be exhausting, but at the end of our life, we're going to have a legacy. And that's what I want for me, and that's what I want for you, and that's what we can have if we will let God continually stretch us by asking God, what's next for me? And then respond in obedience to that. All right, we're going to do one last song. 
during this song, if there is anything that you need to pray about, just come on up and we'll pray together. I'll hang out over there. And uh, Jack, actually, Jacqueline's over there. I'll hang out over there. And if there's anything to pray about, come on up while we're singing. Let's stand. <clears throat> Father, please help us to learn from the failures of your servant Solomon. We are certainly not above him. We are certainly not as wise as him. We are certainly more vulnerable than him. So help us to make corrections in our life and to hear your voice through the distractions and follow you as our greatest desire. In Jesus' name, amen.